Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of Q&A Quest. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Hey, it's me, David, Grandma Master, whatever. <laughs> uh, so we had planned to have Mr. Baker on for this episode, but uh, seeing as how we just had a baby, it's no surprising that the timing didn't quite work out. So we're here with a relatively short episode, I say, before knowing how long this episode is going to be. Um, presumably shorter, shortish episode for you in the meantime. Uh, so let's jump right into our first question and we'll pretend this will be short. We can pretend that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so this is from Low Whoops, and I have to find the question. I They're picked. both from Low Whoops. That's the spoiler. Yeah. And, of course, he sent in a ton of questions, so sometimes it can be hard to figure out which one you picked. Okay, here we go. I'm about, I'm about to roll over into a new WoW expansion again, just like I did going from Wrath of the Lich King to Cataclysm, and I'm already feeling like it's... Well, I'm out. <laughs> now, hold on. This, this, this morphs into a general question. Okay, okay, because I was going to say, I can't... It's not, exactly, <laughs> it's not exactly WoW-specific. Okay, it says, and I'm already feeling like it's going to be the same thing for me. A lot of the stuff I like doing for a few months are now changed and will basically it will be basically useless moving forward and I'll essentially have to learn things all over again. Maybe there will be stuff I find that's fun to do in the new expansion, but more than likely I will find something that I enjoyed before only reskinned for a new expansion. Is this just a wow thing or do all MMOs eventually have these kinds of problems? Uh this I could probably expand that into like the nature of a continuously evolving game. Yeah, and like I even look at like how an art game evolves. Just the the concept of an evolving game, especially one that's not just an evolving meta game, but actual design mechanics being changed. Sorry, that was. Uh, that's okay. Me interrupting you. Go ahead. Yeah. So, and part of it is just kind of the limitations of the engine you're stuck in. Like, at some point, yeah. um, you're kind of limited on what new things you can put in the game without doing lots of rewrites, which, um, honestly, they probably don't have de even devoted to WoW anymore. Uh, yeah, no, probably. Yeah, it, it gets to the point where, you, you know, it's just an upkeep team, you know, working on expansions, obviously, and things like that, and... Being Blizzard, I'm sure it's a much larger team than your average expansion. Like, I'm sure there's a lot more people. It's probably a humongous team. Yeah, I'm sure it's still. a much, much bigger team than worked on Heaven Sword for Final Fantasy XIV, for example. But still, um, it's probably not a team equipped to do massive rewrites of an engine to do, like, incredibly new also, and interesting features. There's also just the issue that, like, the longer that it's... that it exists, the more that that rewrite has to be able to encompass. So, right. Like, the more stuff that already exists is, like, the enemy of, like, trying to, <laughs> trying to fix that, because it's like, oh, well, it also has to accommodate all of these edge cases and other things that are in here that might be a problem. Right. Yeah. You know, you may be like, oh, well, give me this new feature. Well, then it's like, okay, does it have to work in every zone? Now we have to test it in every zone. Uh, what if it breaks in these zones? And, you know, I think that's why... What does it do to players that haven't upgraded to the expansion? Exactly. <laughs> and if if a lot of people 
may remember that when they first introduced flying mounts in WoW, it was originally only in the expansion areas for pretty obvious reasons. Yeah, until they could re-architecture everything. Right, which they eventually did, but... But the odds of being able to do that again and again and again is just like... Yeah. So, I, I think you probably will find a lot of the same, you know, which is to be expected to some extent. You know, at least there's a new class in this one, which is a class I enjoyed... Uh, sorry. It's a type of character that appeared in Warcraft 3, so I'm kind of uh, excited to mess around with that. Um, and, you know, obviously new levels and stuff. There should be enough to to be interesting. Um, I, I just don't think it will likely be anything groundbreaking or revolutionary or super exciting to bring people back to the it's game. It's hard to really left. transform that experience yeah. at this age. Like, it's so old at this point. Like, it's weird to think about... Like, I was thinking about World of Warcraft is significantly older than EverQuest was when World of Warcraft came out. Yeah. Well, it's... And the interesting thing about WoW is it's getting to the point now where a lot of people are kind of craving being able to just play the original vanilla game. Uh, which is kind of interesting for historical reasons, but part of that is because one of the times they did make massive changes... One of the, th yeah, but one of the times they actually did make massive changes is they changed around a lot of the class classes, particularly one of my favorite classes, hunter, to be almost completely different, and in a lot of ways, it's made the game a bit easier, and for a lot of people, including me, less fun. So, um, you know, I think that team has a lot on their plate going forward as far as you know attempting to yeah. grow the the base a bit more. You know, I don't think they're... Obviously, they're never going to reach the levels they once did. Um, but... Yeah, you know, it'd be silly to even try, but, like, the idea of it, an expanding user base rather than a, a contracting one is probably what they're hoping for. Right. And to do that, I think they're going to have to answer a lot of questions, like... Uh, what's the direction we want to take on moving the game forward? Do we want to meet the growing demand for the ability to play Vanilla WoW? Um, yeah. how, how would that even work, given you know the game, that version of the game was obviously written for a much older version of Battle.net? Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do for, going forward. Um, and, you know, I am obviously interested in to see what they're doing with the new expansion. Um, I'm, I'm bring, bringing back a, okay. a popular uh, villain is definitely seems like a a way to try and draw people back. So yeah, well, it's like a hey, remember? Yeah. What were you gonna say? Something else? Oh, I was, I was just gonna say like I wonder if it would be possible for WoW to adopt that thing that I know that some old MMOs do, where like they set up like legacy servers that start on the base version of the game and then have expansions applied to them ah. as as the player base reaches thresholds. I'm sure it's possible. I think just uh, just the issue with that is the whole Battle.net thing. Yeah. Like, like I admit, I don't know how Battle.net like, plays, to, plays with WoW, because like, yeah. I never really used either. I mean, it's pretty integrated into the current game. I think back in the day it was mostly just used 
primarily as a login server, although I can't really say that with much authority. You could sign in to play online. Yeah, so, like, I don't know if you could... I, I don't remember if they had, like, friend lists to see what other people were playing on Battle.net in the original game. I don't, I don't really remember. I know eventually they did, because I was able to, like, check and see people people playing Warcraft 3 and things like that, so I don't know. Um, Can I hear rant about uh, Play Online for just a moment? Because I like... Oh, Play Online! Good times, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, did you have the FF9 guide? Did you? Oh, oh, yes, I did. That was fun. How much access did you have to a computer at the time? Uh, Good enough access that I could, I could, uh, you know, use the wonderful feature, quote-unquote, to get the quote, actual unquote, the other guide. half of the guide. Yeah. My god, that was so stupid. That is the worst guide I've ever purchased. And I've purchased, like, I like strategy guides, I like having physical strategy guides, and I like just having them. It's the worst guide I've ever had. It's just it's, the absolute trash. It is pretty like, freaking awful. Like, I had the Dragon Quest Eight guide that literally is just, bills itself an atlas. It doesn't have information on what the plot should be doing at any given moment, or even like, <laughs> like guides to like like it has lists of what skills you'll get with your like skill points as you level them up. But I don't believe that it gives you any sort of advice as to what those skills are useful for. Wonderful. Yeah, like it's it's not a great guide, but like it does have maps that are good. Guess what the play online guide doesn't have. Um, <laughs> so so I. At any given moment, was going to have access to the internet for maybe 20 minutes. Nice. And it was dial-up, and it was going to be about 15 minutes just getting to the website and getting it to load what I needed. So if I got to something in FF9 that I was, like, stuck on, and that game is full of things, that you can miss them, and they'll never come back. Mm. And so it's the most heinous video game to have this awful guy. <laughs> So angry, <laughs> and Play Online never did anything at any point. I, like that that information, you can't get that guide information anymore. Obviously, it, I don't think it was ever reasonably archived anywhere, except you know the game facts will tell you, you all of that much better than Play Online ever did anyway. I think but, it, like, I think it may it, actually still be up there. I, I remember hearing that it wasn't, but I wasn't exactly going to yeah, check. Um, it maybe it was at one time. I don't remember. It is surreal. It is surreal how, how much Square like hitched its wagon to play online and then never really did anything with it at all. Like it housed the other part of the FF9 guide. It was originally supposed to be involved in FF10's aborted online features where you would be able to customize weapons and sell them for guild to other players. That was a planned feature. Remember that? Ugh. Like, you were going to, there was going to be a play online button if you had attached your PS2 network adapter to your PS2 that was totally out when FF10 came out. It wasn't out when FF10 came out. Um, well, they used it for FF11, which yeah, was like actually that, extremely they annoying. Eventually, they eventually had to disentangle that from play online because they weren't going to use play online anymore, but FF11 wasn't dead yet. So they, like, it, it took forever, but they eventually did disentangle FF11 from play online, and that's all they ever did with it. Yeah, pretty much. It's so, it's so weird. Awesome. It doesn't like, do the whole they, they seem to like they seem to get that URL playonline.com and they were like this is a good URL. We need to use it for everything. <laughs> Here's Tetramaster. Here's Triple Triad. Was it Tetramaster or Triple Triad? Probably Triple 
triad. That was the one that people liked. Triple triad? I don't know. Yeah, FF8 card game. Yeah, triple triad. But yeah, um, it was... So... Oh. <laughs> I'm just so angry to play online still. It's been... Oh, God. Nearly, it has been 16 years, and I, I'm still angry at play online. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be okay. Sorry, sorry. Like, I, guess, I guess Battle.net was basically what play online wanted to be, and that's... It really is, ahead. and it's actually... It's really good. Guess what? Battle.net actually works. Like, like I might not be a British Blizzard fan, but I've never heard anyone complain that Battle.net is constantly breaking or does nothing, and it's just a giant, like, obnoxious thing that you have to run your client through. <laughs> oh, it's a nice way to run the, the Blizzard games, although it's annoying some of the leg legacy games are in like their own older version of Battle.net so they don't show up in the client. Sealed. They live hermetically sealed here because that's the last place they work. <laughs> there must. I wish that I could hear, I could read like an interview from someone that like is working on legacy support for really old software. Like, think about that. Like, really old MMOs or Diablo 2 still gets patches occasionally. Yeah, recently. Like, yeah. War like, Warcraft what? 3 actually got patched super recently so that um, it actually didn't have a, an installer for, like, Intel Max, and now it does. Like, that, that must be crazy. Like, imagine working on that. Like, it can't be something that, like, the people who originally worked on it are working on, because then will have either left the company or they've gotten too high up in the hierarchy to be spending their time, like, making sure that this ancient thing works. Oh, I... That I, must be so weird, like... Oh, go ahead. I know for a fact that one of the primary Mac guys is no longer there, so... I hope that yeah, like all their source, source code is properly commented, I guess. If it's not, if it's not, then they're going to have, like... I remember listening to the... Uh, to some bit of reading, some bit of commentary, like it was the it was the postmortem for the Ratchet and Clank uh, PS4 reboot, uh, where they talked about how they would have not been able to make that reboot if because their old files were so bad, like they were so, so poorly commented, it was impossible to tell what anything was. Except that poor Idle Minds, the company that had, that made the HD collection on PS3, had had to go th through and sort through all of their old uncommented, like poorly organized. Assets and code. What? What? Which collection is this again? The HD collection on PS3. For Ratchet. Like, for Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They I remember to, you telling me about this. They had to go through. Yeah, they had to go through all those old assets, and then, like, because of that, they were able to check old level architecture and like import some of it into the PS4 Ratchet and Clank. That sounds but horrifying. If they had not. Yeah, yeah. If they had not, not ha if Idle Minds had not had to do that cleanup job, it never would have happened. Like, they would not have been able to make their timetable because they would have had to spend a ton of time just sorting through the old code. Let this be a lesson to you, kids. Always comment your fucking code. It's, a, it's amazing <laughs> because that's the first thing that you learn in every programming class, and no one does it. Yeah. Like, I, I've learned it, and I, st like, you know, I, I am the worst uh, imaginable, I, but, you know, when I do occasionally code, I never, I'm always too lazy to actually comment things. It's like, and that's true of every human, every person who has ever even dabbled in code I've ever talked to. Yes, we know what best practice is. None of us does it. I comment most of the time now. 
learning from past <laughs> you mistakes. You probably had to learn. Yeah, you oh, probably yes. had to learn oh, that after yeah. trying to read something two weeks after writing it and wondering what this strange alien inhabiting your body was thinking. Oh, worse than that is um, not committing like a check into source control. Not, not commenting on not com. Oh, sorry, did I say commit? Not commenting on a commit to source control, and then going back and having to figure out what the what the f you just did. Uh, that has happened to yeah. me. I remember like the the one the the time I was learning to use Git. The only instruction I got that I was not allowed to break ever was you need to have a comment explaining what your commit is doing. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> But yeah, that was a, that was a okay. We we went for our field in record time. But yeah, like it's it's fascinating the the concept of, of trying to support legacy software. Yeah. Way to like, way to get us back on the track, by the way. I hate you so much. <laughs> I want so much to just throttle you. <laughs> so you were saying. Uh, I'm 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 so angry at that pun. Like, <laughs> but like I feel like there's like I know that there's at least one postmortem with like Blue Point Games. Who, if you've never heard of them, if there's a really good HD collection, it was them. Yeah, like the Metal Gear HD collection, the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus HD collection. Those two, those are their work. Uh, they did the Xbox 360 port of Titanfall. That was like. People were like, "How did this even happen?" Oh, I forgot about that. That that took some serious black magic. Yeah, like Bluepoint does a lot of like black ma- magic tech wizardry, and they like I know that there's at least one postmortem with them about like working on the MGS HD collection that I need to track down and read because, like that's that's another like that's an interesting aspect of like working with legacy code that you didn't even make. <laughs> Oh, man, that tight, like, the like, Titanfall like, port, man. Like that that Titanfall port deserved better. Like no one played it, but like it deserved I better because it. it was so, it, because it was uh, Titanfall is super good, by the way. Please purchase Titanfall two now that it'll be available on more things. It's Titanfall is super good. Sorry, filibustered away from RPGs briefly. Um, well, yeah, I was just gonna say that that Xbox three sixty port I'm pretty sure ran better than Titanfall ran on my computer. That is more powerful. So, there you go. Yeah, it, it was a super impressive version of the game, but yeah, like it's. I, I've just been playing the Eco and Shep of the Colossus uh, collection because I'm trying to. We we discussed games last uh, last time where like something disag- we disagreed with them, and then like it brought me. I, I ended up thinking like I, I really should try to give Shadow of the Colossus a chance. Mm. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Final thoughts on MMO yeah. stuff. Uh, like the the issue that happens with any MMO discussion is that my this my experience with MMOs is super limited. Like one day, when I have more money, you and I will play some FF14, and then we mm. can discuss MMOs. That's a good one to play. In, yeah. Going off on another tan- tangent slightly, FF14 I think is a really nice. Uh, MMO that allows casual people and non-casual people to play together well, because you can switch your one character can switch to other classes and you can like level up with your friends from one of those classes at that low level, 
but not only that is they have um, I forget the exact name. I know they for have it. like level scaling. Yeah, that's it. Le they have level scaling. So if you want to do a dungeon with your friends who are lower level, instead of just you know them steamrolling it for yeah, them. instead of them steamrolling through everything, and you're like, oh well, that was fun. You can actually play it. Yeah, I've, I've had difficulty. that experience in multiplayer RPGs where like that. I've had that experience in multiplayer RPGs where it's like, oh, they're level like a billion, and this is. I might as well not even be here. I'm just yeah. watching. It sucks. And like that gets that, that that will kill a multiplayer RPG instantly. It's just like there's there's no reason for me to even be here. But uh, uh, like yeah, like good luck. Level scaling tools, super, super good. Like, everything I've heard about FF14 post A Realm Reborn is that it's a fantastic game that also, hey, speaking of games that had to be rebuilt from these smallest <laughs> underpinnings. Oh. Because it turns out that a potted plant is not the same priority as the player character. Whoops. I don't think that the P. I don't think anyone who worked on original FF14 will ever live down that comment. Like, okay. that uh, observation that a potted plant had as much like <laughs> graphical assets and resources devoted to it when it was being rendered as a player character. Mm. That game uh, ran like shit. Pardon my yet another swear. Yeah, yeah, you're a foul mouth today. Um, usually it's me. Um, but yeah, no, like just just as a general rule, it was a uh, like the I'm. All of the postmortems I've ever read about original FF14 to A Realm Reborn are fascinating. It's just cause it's like, what happened? <laughs> like, oh, the, there is the the sheer dysfunctional culture that surrounded Square in the late 2000s is fascinating, and it's good to see that they appear to be pulling themselves out of it. But just took a lot. Yeah, it's it's a shame that it took as long as it did, but hey, I'm looking forward to FF15. How about that? Yeah. We shall weather the delay. Least, yeah, no. I, I will be happy to pick it up in November when there is more money and less video games for me to play anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, like, apparently, it, like, one of the early scenes is you guys, your entire party just pushing a car, and that's, like, sold. In. I am in. I'm all for that. Nice. Like that is that is such a human element that you don't see in RPGs. Like, oh, our transportation broke down, and it's not a big drama. It's just irritating. <laughs> and on like that, a, I, 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 go ahead. I was gonna say, the game has kind of built it up, built itself up, perhaps a bit too much, but I'm still quite hopeful that the end result will be quite good. Yeah, I'm I'm sold on it by virtue of the fact that like it's not the big the big deals that are really selling it on me. It's that that human core that really yeah. sells it to me. Like you get you see characters getting into situations that you don't see in RPGs, where it's like, oh, you know, the whole group is just sort of sitting out by the roadside cooking burgers because well, we're on a road trip. It's kind of a whole level of party building that we've never really gotten in very many RPGs. Yeah, like, it feels like, as often as not, a party in an RP... This is, we are going so far afield. Yeah, no, it's fine. Just keep good. myself down to, like, two minutes. <laughs> but, like, it, as often as not, a party a party of characters in an RPG 
be is defined by their relationships strictly to the main character and will often like you won't see groups of them interacting very much right like I feel like that that was the contrast I felt with the uh, cast of Persona 3 and Persona 4 is that in Persona 3 everyone's sort of like separate and like there are cliques within your group and that makes sense so like you, Junpei and Yukari, you all sort of hang out, you're all the same age, you all sort of like came in at the same time, you all hang out. Mitsuru and Akihiko are the same age, they sort of, they hang out a lot Fuka hangs out with Yukari a lot and occasionally with Mitsuru, it's because like they're the girl, girl side I guess and like that sort of defines party relations, there's not really a feeling of broader camaraderie yeah. and persona 4 i think one of the reasons that it's resonated so much and has st- like still is like a high watermark for people is that you get reaction like characters re- react to each other and like they feel like people that are grouped together both because they are all working towards something but also because like this is this is my group of friends, and like I don't always hang out with the same ones. Like I certainly hang out with some more, more than others, but they all hang out together, and they all feel like a group rather than a web stringing out from one or two people. Hmm. And like that's that is the hope that I have for FF15's interactions is that because they are focusing on this small, more knit group that do know each other and do spend the entire game together, they can really focus on like those. Like scaling up and down interpersonal interactions that involve two characters that maybe would never interact in another RPG. But yeah, that's that's a lot of pie in the sky. That's that is what I hope, and that is what makes me so interested in fifteen. Well, here's hoping. Yeah. All right. But, but let's move. Yeah, let's move on uh, to our next question, which you picked out. Yeah. So. Of course, law whoops, as I spoiled at the beginning. Uh, sequels to successful or fan-favorite games seem to have a lot of pressure on them to deliver. Are there any sequels that are radically different from their predecessors, but just as beloved? RPGs, of course. Just as beloved. That's... Well, that eliminates what I was going to go to. Were you going to say Chrono Cross? No. What were you going to say? I'm, I'm curious. Breath of Fire, Dragon Quarter. Yeah, Breath of Fire, Dragon Quarter has a separate fandom, but I would also say that the Breath of Fire fandom is small in general, so the Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter small fandom is probably of comparable size. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I I feel like that's what the the issue is with these really polarizing sequels that are very huge departures, is that they generally have fandoms, they just don't have the same fandom. Like, it's... It might even be the same size of fandom, but it's not the same fandom. It's not the same people. Like... Because, rightly or wrongly, like those people who bought this new game and expected something different, like they get, like they they expected something that was more like, like what they played, and so you know they they sort of get really betrayed by the, their expectations get betrayed, and so you know there's a certain something to be said for managing expectations and how that will affect the reaction of an audience, but. Like, sorry, sorry. I'm just uh, trying to marshal my thoughts into a more coherent uh, answer. But like, you know, you get something like 
like Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, and like the perception is that like Chrono Cross doesn't have a fandom. Chrono Cross absolutely has a fandom, and it's probably fairly similar to the size of Chrono Triggers uh, in terms of like individual fandom. But, but a lot of it are people that didn't that either or didn't really play Chrono Trigger or you know didn't really like it as much as Chrono Cross. Like it's it's just a separate fandom to them. Right. And so, like, you still will get, like, those people that are absolutely nuts and, and hate one or the other, but you also, like, it, it would be wrong to say these games don't have fandoms, because, again, like, the guy who gave Chrono Cross a 9.5 instead of a 10 in EGM was still getting hate mail 10 years later. <laughs> and, and that can't have been just from people who hadn't played it yet. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Like, it, it's interesting to think about, though. Like, you expect them to have, like... Uh, outside of the realm of RPGs, I'm the dick that like really likes Eco and doesn't care for Shadow of the Colossus. I told you I was going to talk about this in some fashion. How dare you? But, uh, but like you know, like my my expectations were on some level betrayed, and like I'm still trying to rehabilitate my opinion of the game as it is, rather than what I wanted, which was something more like Eco. It's it like we all have that cognitive bias. I feel like everyone's done it, whether it's for a game or something else but like you know you go into entertainment for something you know to entertain you and if it turns out that the thing that you felt like was sequel and was going to fulfill ex certain expectations and then suddenly it goes away and, but yeah like I, this wasn't a question about the psychology of why people get so divided but I do think that that those sequels that are of quality do build up their own fandoms like uh, Majora's Mask is another good one. Oh yes like, that's a really good Majora's one Majora's Mask spent spent a very long time as like the the weird one that no one really wanted to talk about because like it was it betrayed their expectations they wanted more occurring out of time and but Majora's Mask has developed such a like a huge fandom as a weird different departure from what Zelda was at the time that like it absolutely has a fandom like you know, separated by, you know, nearly 20 years from both of them, it absolutely has a fandom that is similar to Ocarina of Time's, perhaps not in size, just because Ocarina of Time was so mainstream, but certainly in vociferousness and, like, the sort of person that still discusses either of them is the sort of per person that is going to probably have an appreciation of Majora's Mask. Right. Uh, Majora's Mask. It's a wonderful game if you can get in the right mindset for yeah. it. I'm always a little hard on it, but it always sticks in my brain. And I always go back to it, so I always That's an interesting something thought. special about it. That's an interesting thought to me, too, as well. Like, a lot of times the thing that I remember not the things that scored the highest, but have some certain, like, ephemeral sticky quality to them that, like, yeah. they may not have they were different enough that they stood out when other things were better than what was the best. It's, it's something like, that's a different question entirely, but it's something that sticks out in my head. Like there, there are some games that like I'm a big fan of that I hope eventually get reevaluated. Like I'm a big fan, a big defender, and have been since it came out of Dragon Age Two, which got savaged by essentially that's that a game's bit. entire friend. <laughs> like that game's entire fandom. Like the the entire what, what Dragon Age fandom exists hated that game with like vociferous passion for dialing back the scale. But like playing Dragon Age Inquisition and Inquisition's an excellent, lovely game. I can like I 
like, I gained more appreciation for Dragon Age 2's willingness to go back and scale down because Inquisition is oftentimes just too big. Like, it needs to scale back and focus... I feel like it needs to scale back and focus on what on more important things than some of the things that it wants me to spend my time on. Mm, that's often what kind of turns me away from a lot of open-world-ish games. Is it's it's too big and it's feels unfocused. And yeah. to, to me, Dragon Age Two felt laser-focused, um, and it's kind of kind of similar to uh, Mass Effect One to Mass Effect Two. Yeah, um, they they both. Both really went for that, like sharpen the focus, go back, file back yeah. down, and, and like you know, Mass Effect Two, like because so much of the openness was not an appeal in Mass Effect One. It Mass was Effect just was it was love. bad. Yeah, like a lot of the openness in Mass Effect One was just bad. And I know pe- yeah, like, people complained about di- about dialing that back and maybe not improving the openness, but um, I think. If you look at Mass Effect 1, what was really appealing about it is what Mass Effect 2 focused on, which is the story, yeah, yeah. tightening up those and nice combat scenarios. Yeah. Like, the, uh, like there's, there have been possibly reasonable complaints, but the through plot of Mass Effect 2 is actually pretty thin. There's not much happening in that game other than talking, like recruiting and talking to characters. It's a character-focused game, a very character-focused game. And like, it, speaking of the, the thing I was uh, kind of complaining about, but more just like pointing out like differences in, in last question, like it's it's a game that sharply focused on Shepard's relationship with each individual, right? And it makes it work by by having more to that relationship than a lot of games will do, where like that that character, you know, has to go through several scenarios that really like show what they are from more than one angle. It's yeah. But yeah, it's it's a very character focused game. And like if you just do the core scenarios that you have to to reach an ending, regardless of what that ending happens to be, like you you've cut off at the knees the the part of the game that's interesting. Hmm. But yeah, that's a but yeah, there there's an interesting thought to be focused on like open world design as well, but that's also a different question. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm trying to think of like other games that are like really big departures, but beloved. I can think of like smaller departures. I'm trying to think of some bigger ones. Unless you're smaller departures, and that might help. Well, I was just, just going to do Mega Man 2 to Mega Man 3, kind of branching out from RPGs. Um, minor differences, um, but both are obviously I... beloved. Yeah, or I would really say any given Mega Man subseries, like, yes. has that sort of inbuilt belovedness. Like, Mega Man Legends is a huge departure, and that's probably the most divisive one that existed for the longest time. Like, it's it's kind of interesting to remember that before Mega Man Legends 3 was announced and cancelled, Mega Man Legends had a very divisive reputation. Right. Like, I think there's still a lot of people it, that don't like it. Yeah, like, but they I also have no reason to discuss it anymore. Right. <laughs> I don't necessarily love Mega Man Legends, uh, but I do. definitely enjoy it. <laughs> I'll probably like the second one better, but yeah. You know. I actually like the first one better, even though the second one is a better game. Really? Interesting. The, the, the first one, like, 
Because the first one's all set on that one island, it, it's more interconnected, and I sort of like that. Uh, like, it's sense. all on Cav Galaxy, yeah. Well, I think that's definitely it, it, a, a game that I would file under needs an HD remake. Yeah, like that, like a full remake of Mega Man Legends would help it a lot, because it's very clearly a victim of early 3D game design. Yeah. And there's a question in the th thread that actually relates to that, but that's uh, at the end of the thread as it exists now. Well, let's just pivot uh, to that instead of saving it for Instead later. of doing things in strict chronological order. Yeah. Okay. Let us then. What is what was the question? Okay, I'll pull it up because apparently I am the keeper of the holocron. Well, I see one at the end here, but it's not exactly what I was expecting. Well, like I was thinking about issues of early 3D game design, which led oh, me to think oh, of oh. targeting. Yes. So, uh, to make this more clear, uh, Silktail in the forums responding to kind of me asking why does why does every 3D action game need lock on he says Zelda Ocarina of Time is pretty much to blame for popularity of the lock-on system in games. So do you think you could play a 3D Zelda without using lock-on with or without your Monster Hunter skills? To, to which I would respond that like Monster Hunter is designed with the knowledge that you don't have a lock-on and Zelda is designed with the knowledge you do. Well, I would re basically respond to that saying as long as it's a Zelda design not to have a lock-on and not a Zelda where they simply remove <laughs> the ability to lock-on. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like when it, whenever I see like this is just like a personal bugbear of mine I go, I rant about it occasionally with Bill's probably heard it before. Whenever I see like randomizer hacks that it's like, oh, it's gonna be it'll make my favorite game like a roguelike, and it's like, well, no, it wasn't really designed to be played that way, and it yeah. just makes the gameplay like what? <laughs> Seriously, like you, you've just taken the game and made it play bad. Yeah, but the thing uh, about this is so yeah, the thing about this that people seem to understand is if you put lock on in Monster Hunter, the game would both be too easy and suck because it's designed you wouldn't to even... not have lock on. Looking at it, like whenever I, whenever I, like you know, I played Monster Hunter Three Ultimate, and it that had lock on, and lock on didn't actually help as much as it seems like it should. No, like, like I feel like that's the bigger thing is that like part of the reason you don't have lock on is that like it, when you have strict lock on in a game, it doesn't like it helps in a be more like not just because like your attacks are more likely to hit, but because it changes your control scheme, like the. The canonical, like, lock-on Z targeting, like, it didn't just, like, make it so, oh, when you swing, you, like, naturally pivot towards the enemy. It made it so that, like, you automatically circle strafe everything. Yeah. And, like, if you gave that kind of lock-on to Monster Hunter, like, suddenly Monster Hunter becomes whale on this thing until it disappears. And that would not be fun. So, like, even the ones that do have lock-on... Like, the, well, the one that has lock on, 3 Ultimate, uh, when you lock on, it just keeps the camera focus. Yeah. So because just... that's the way to play it without trivializing the core conceit. Right. But the whole design around Monster Hunter is that you need to learn how your weapon works, you need to learn its timing. And, yeah, so. You don't really need. You don't really need lock-on to begin with. 
Yeah. Okay. You will find uh, 3D action games nowadays oftentimes e either have no lock-on or aren't built around using it. Yeah. Because they, they have, like, interesting... Like, and they get around that in different ways. Like, there will be soft lock-on where, like, the game will attempt to detect what you're going at. And if that, like, you know... And you can see what happens when a game has no soft lock-on because you get Yakuza 1. But... <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about it, and yeah. I'm picturing, obviously, I would say Monster Hunter's biggest competition in God Eater, which does have a lock-on um, only when you're using melee weapons, not when you switch your weapon to a gun. Um, yeah, a gun with, with lock-on in a Monster Hunter clone is like, basically, okay, stop playing the game now, you're basically wasting <laughs> your own time at this point. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be quite that bad, because the guns in God Eater uh, get ammo by using your melee attacks. Uh, but it's it's it still, still one of those bad. things where it's yeah. just pointless. Yeah, but the... like you might as well just have given the player a certain amount of free damage. Yeah, <laughs> so that has lock on, and it's designed to have lock on because it's much it's a much faster paced game, and it's not designed around learning your weapon and learning the timing of your weapon so much as it is learning the pattern the enemies, how to dodge, when to get your attacks in, which is in Monster Hunter as well, but it's in, but God Eater is a bit faster paced, so um, kind of relying more on the timing of your weapons and things like that doesn't really work so Lock-On works perfectly in that game yeah so my whole point with that is just that you know, in most cases, there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution to anything, and Monster Hunter does not need does not need lock-on. Like, I feel like the amount of customers they would pick up by adding lock-on would be negligible compared to losing the distinctive flavor. Right. Like, like I, I brought that up. I just like pivoting back to a thing I mentioned earlier. Like, oftentimes the games that like have fewer noticeable laws have sanded down things that make them distinctive. Yeah. And so you get those sort of like that like eventually, you know, something does what they do better and they get forgotten, but those things that have those flaws but are still weird, they stick out. Like they resonate even as they even as, you know, they still are flawed experiences. Right. Uh, all right. So should we move it's, uh, Oh, sorry. I was I was just thinking about some uh just, just, I've been, I've been feeling nostalgic for like, it feels weird to say this, but feeling nostalgic for very early PS2 games. Like this is this is a total <laughs> sidebar filibuster, but like, you ever you ever think about like the distinctive character of early games for a console? Yes. Like uh. early PS1 games that are barely stitched together 3D, or early PS2 games that Summoner are like. Ah, oh, Summoner is awful, but yeah, something like that. Where like they have they they have much wider, larger environments that are oftentimes bigger, just because we can fit more in memory. So put a bunch more stuff. Yeah, and it's all just like, and it's oftentimes like it's all ru running on one smeary texture. You're running along grass, and it's just a big green carpet smear. Like I was, I was looking at like ancient forgotten PS2 RPG on the Ancient Gate. You probably don't even know what that is. Um, on the what? And On the PS2. Yeah. And I was looking at it and it was like, yeah, oh my god. 
like this is what PS2 games in late 2001 looked like. Like that's just what they were. <laughs> like I, I was looking. Uh, I also looked at an old action game called the The Mark of Cree, which I was very fond of at the time. Still, well, I am actually. But like that that game also had like this is this is what brought it into my head. The, both of those games are 2000 late 2001 PS2 games, and both of them have this distinctive like. There is a texture, and everything sort of has that texture and colored a little different. <laughs> and like, it, for and Mark of Cree manages to make it work because it is this bizarre, fascinating. Like we we talked occasionally about using a unique aesthetic, and Mark of Cree's aesthetic was a, a combination of like, uh, like a New Zealand, like native New Zealandish and Polynesian art mixed with like a sort of Disney uh, uh, character design sensibility mixed with Conan the Barbarian levels of violence. <laughs> it's a surreal game to think that this existed and was put out by Sony as like a major game. But it's actually still pretty interesting as like a like time capsule of interesting design and like an interesting aesthetic that no one's ever really done again because like it's a combination of aesthetics you don't see very often which is like yeah yeah it's it's interesting i i recommend looking that up if you want to look at an interesting early ps2 action game evolutionary dead end but uh yeah sorry i just i just wanted to filibuster about that because that that thought has been in my head a lot the past few weeks about like the distinctive character of early games for a specific console well, I'm thinking of some of the early games for the DS and how kind of weird and strange they were trying to use lots of different features in the DS. And that kind of creeped into even, like, the middle stages of the life of the DS. Like, uh, Yeah, like, the successes there sort of propagated a second wave of them. Yeah, like, you look at um, uh, Phantom Hourglass, which is a game I think is pretty good, but it has random moments where, hey, maybe we shouldn't have used every single part of the DS. Like, there's a part where you have to, like, shout into the microphone. Yeah. And, yeah, and that went into the sequel as well, where one of the weapons requires you blowing into the microphone. Which was really annoying on my original DS, where the microphones kind of started failing. To be fair, shout it into the microphone to do something stupid is actually a Zelda tradition dating back to Zelda 1 on the Famicom. Really? Yes, in the Jap- the Japanese Famicom, the second controller did not have a start and start. And- they were wired into the con- uh, the console, and the second controller did not have a start and select button. It had a microphone on it. Really? And- yeah, and the Poles voices in, like, Zelda 1, you could kill by just shouting into that. What? There's actually... If- few strange uses of that microphone that got, you know, edited out of U.S. releases. Kid Icarus used it. You could shout out at shopkeepers to lower their prices. That is amazing. I, I never knew that. Yeah. It's, it's super weird. Like, just these the strange... Like, they, you know, the, the Famicom's controllers are obnoxious as hell because they are wired straight into the console and have a range of about three feet. Um, <laughs> but, yeah... Like you, you without that extra, like you lost weird character in games. But yeah, uh, <laughs> like like that the yeah that that was a that was a dumb tangent. But yeah, like the DS's 
first like there there was this idea for a long time that to to be on the DS a game had to justify why it was being on the DS. <laughs> like why is this a DS game? Oh, well it uses this. And like sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. But like it, it was kind of fascinating like that this idea like well Oh, if we're just going to make a normal game, why wouldn't we have just made it for PSP? And then, like, you know, once the DS became a sales monster, they no longer had to justify, like, okay, why is this a DS game? It became, well, of course it's a DS game, that thing right. sells. And the interesting thing about that is once they stopped kind of using it for dumb things, it made a lot of sense for more mundane things, like especially RPGs. You can just have menus yeah. and things, like, down there. Um yeah. Some platformers used both screens. Captain Metroidvanias. Oh yes, that it, that especially. That's a godsend. Like I remember, uh, um, I remember trying to play some Metroidvanias on other platforms and being like, I, I <laughs> not knowing so what to do without the, the map. Yeah, I got so used, so used to having a map on the bottom of the screen that I when I when I tried to play similar games on like the Vita, I'm like, where's my ma- where's my map? <laughs> I need that thing. Yeah. But, uh, what was I going to say? But, yeah, I like... I, I feel kind of sad that, like, there, there, there is that, like, ongoing tendency, like, any time that... Like, particularly when Nintendo brings out, like, a new system and it has some new weird function, the idea that a game cannot ex- exist on that platform in- independent of that new weird fun- function... It needs to justify why it's there. Yeah. And that seems weird to me. Like, it can be there. Like, they they leave that out for you. That's why there's all those buttons on it. Like, you could make more of an argument for the Wii where, like, you you know, there was only a handful of buttons. You were kind of, like, in between a rock and a hard place. But, like, why is this on the Wii U? Well, it needs a second screen functionality. It's like, eh. Like, sometimes it's fine to just have that second screen not do much other than reflect what's on the TV. Yeah. Sometimes but you yeah, can't overthink it. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that the just like there there's the there's the, the the attitude that when a new piece of technology comes out that like it needs to be used as the core function as opposed to something that enhances an existing function. It's interesting, kind of the issues with some of those early Wii U games. Is it something that Nintendo itself and its developers should have learned from the DS? Yeah. Like, you know. yeah, like it's like they had to learn the process again. Right. Very strange. So I wonder if it would have been. Well, it probably still would have been a relative sales bust, but I think maybe people would have gotten it a little more if they kind of focused on things like, oh, you know, you have the map down here, or have other basic functions that make the game much easier More to play. play. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be the only feature, but it can be it can exist to be a f- feature that enhances an augments. Yeah. Or just have um Adventure Time explore the dungeon where hey look you can have BMO on the <laughs> on the controller. <laughs> that that was the feature specifically for you. Yeah, it's 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 a fun feature. Emo's bag someone burst his bubble. <laughs> oh, Bemo. Oh, Bemo. How are you so pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Adventure Time. Oh, uh, grab your friend. How did we get to this yeah, again? I still need okay. to. We, we went, I, I decided I wanted to fill the bus about the interestingness of early titles in a constant life. Right. And how they always have a, have a particular character to them. <sighs> that becomes more and more obvious in retrospect. Mm. The characteristic of early PS2 games, oh man, this environment is huge and it's all one texture, also <laughs> anti-aliasing. It's not here. <laughs> oh, man. Alright, let me scroll through some of the remaining comments in the thread before we I speak move to wrap this thing up. <laughs> I, I absolutely adore the unique character of the games in a console's lifestyle. Yeah, good times. Good times. I am sure that when Gaijin is here next time, we're going to just talk about Kataro until you die. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, that's alright, I'll just play Yokai Watch 3. Oh, that's that's a thing we we should probably talk about. Japan dream. Yeah. <laughs> Wheels decided to punt his entire decision and just play Yo Yokai Watch Three instead. Yeah. So, yeah. Before we get into that, so well, were... someone actually did re re uh, make cast a deciding vote for you. Yes. So, uh, Silk Silktail Thank mentions you, that no one helped me with my tough decision of which version of Yokai Watch 2 to get, and he, and as you'll see in a second, he does not help at all. Um, Listen, he cast a vote. That's more than most people can he say. He cast a vote and then is, and then throws some wrinkles onto it, but yeah, so I ran a Twitter poll, you know, asking people, decide a version of Yokai Watch 2 to, <laughs> for me to get. And the poll ended split. Yeah, so this is the tiebreaker. Uh, not really. Now there are four choices. So he says, "No one, no one has the, helped like, wheels." This, this thing I do think is actually heinous. This thing yeah. that they've done—it's it, pretty heinous. But he says, "No one has helped wheels with his Yokai Watch Two choice yet." Well, I'll choose, I'll choose you, Bony Spirits. Reasoning mostly because the eShop version comes with a code for a Robo Kitty. F type that question is mark. That's pretty good. Yes. Um, which brings up the whole deal that, hey, not only do each of the two versions have their own exclusives, the eShop versions have separate exclusives. That's heinous. That is an awful thing to do to anyone. That's pretty ridiculous. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to worry about that because I don't buy the eShop versions because I have more than one 3DS. So I... Uh prefer the physical versions. Although, of another random aside, I wish I had just gotten the eShop version of Monster Hunter Generations because, hey, guess what? It doesn't save on the cart. It saves on your SD card. So, yeah. Yeah. Having that card is pretty pointless. Whoopsie. <laughs> yep. Probably transfer safe. You want to do a lot of painstaking, like SD card removal every time. No, no, thank you. I'll just play it on the I'll play it on the XL, and you know what? That just gives me a reason to play more of four, which I like more anyway. So there you go. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, 
so let's see what else he says here. Alternately, the enemy group attack metal sounds more useful to me if you do get, go with the physical version, which is what I'm going to do anyway. As I just mentioned, as a bonus, I heard Bony Spirits has this three-headed snake, which might be hard to trade for otherwise. Good for competitions or something. If I'm imagining you guy watch competition, watch you comp actually going to one and being a, being like the 30-year-old of the guy watch competition. Uh, I mean, it's excusable at a Pokemon tournament, given the... Because, like, you can say, oh, I grew up with it. There, yeah. it's just like, um, please don't call all the police. My son watches this, and that was my excuse for playing the games. But anything more involved, anything more involved to that, and you're looking at uh, people looking at you strangely and possibly and reporting you. No, no, I am not more enthusiastic about watching the show than my son is. Not at all. That would be silly. Yeah. Absolutely silly, Mechanion. Oh God! What is he suggesting here? Then you can try and get fleshy souls on clearance later on for this self-destructive, yes, ally plus enemy attack metal, or an eShop sale if they still have that pretty sailor kitty. What are you trying to do to me, Silktail? Oh, I think God, I think Silktail I think Silktail understands as I do that you're going to buy all of the versions. I uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, you can't hide what's inside. Listen, I I am not I am not the collectathon type for these kinds of games. I did it once for Pokemon. It was a worthless experience. I don't do it anymore. And particularly for Yokai Watch, I don't actually like most of the <laughs> the design of most of the Yokai, and I have no interest wow, in collecting the majority of them. You just want Robanyan. Yes, I just want all the Robanyan. Um, which reminds me, I randomly came across a plush Robanyan in a Target. and Sold! I totally bought it. Oh, yeah. Okay, and moving on, I feel like we should at least glance over Gaijin's uh, comments, other than the point that I made that I'm going to just talk about Kitaro for a while. <laughs> we, we should, although Silktail also used the phrase Yokemon and claims to know nothing okay. about any of the versions of these games, even though he knew very specific details. And, Definitely and, doesn't. And, unless he just looked all that up for I the sole purpose of trying to get me specific. to... Uh, he, he may have looked all this information up for the specific, specific purpose of seeing if he can get me to buy all four versions. It's what I'd have done. It's true. All right, so You've done a good thing, so <laughs> Gaijin has a bunch of comments. We're gonna, some of them we're just gonna gonna kind of skip until he's on the show. But he did have some comments about the Super Mario Brothers cartoon show. Uh, he says, "I love the original Super Mario Brothers cartoon show, the one with the live action bits with Mario and Luigi in their basement office somewhere in Brooklyn." All the cartoon episodes were weird attempts I to graft... I just watched an episode of that two weeks ago. It's like the most heinous thing. <laughs> it's it's pretty heinous. All the cartoon... Like it was like... The, the episode I watched, like, live-action segment was about Luigi learning French and that making him, like, impossibly attractive to women. <laughs> oh, my God. It was baffling. Yeah. <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, all... All the cartoon episodes were attempts to graph characters and monsters from the first two Mario games 
except for war, oddly enough, into a wide, into as wide a variety of American cultural touchstones as possible. There is an e- even one episode based on the Mad Max movies where Toad gets a superstar and transforms into the Toad Warrior only for it to run out at the properly clima- climactic moment. His chopper turns into a tricycle at the same time. The Super Mario World show was definitely just a little more polished and didn't go quite as gonzo with the various settings, but it was not as fun for me. I do remember that at one point the only girl in the Koopa Kids got Bowser to kidnap Millie Vanilli to sing at her birthday party, though. Yeah, that show was that, that is such, terrible. I, I, I love that like degree of time capsule, though. There is a yeah. like six month period, a six month period where you would make a Millie Vanilli reference, and it wouldn't be about the fact that they were lip syncing. <laughs> it wouldn't be about that time that one of them did the Running Man and the other ran off stage while Girl, you know it skipped over and over and over. <laughs> oh, Millie Vanilli. Like, it was it was very it was a very specific time and age that would allow us to make again like Millie Vanilli that that naturally the Millie Vanilli performance is obviated from the DVD release of the show. Uh, yeah, wondering why uh, I didn't see that episode on there. No, it, the Millie Vanilli episode is on there. Oh, the music is, is on. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. <laughs> so, uh, it's like a documentary where like one of them's talking about how awful that experience is. It's just like, you can't, like, one of them try, tries to play along, the other runs terrified from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's just like, it's just it's like the guy reminiscing years and Years later, it's just it just kept skipping. Go, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then in his next post, he finished listening to the episode. Uh, <sighs> oh man, Lagoon! Yeah. I rented that once back in the day and could not even figure out how to hit anything without dying. I'm not yep. convinced that there's a good way way to do that. <laughs> it's <laughs> Lagoon. Yeah, so probably bad. played better as an East clone. <sighs> Which was a surprisingly prevalent genre at the time. There's a there's a like Hakenden East clone on the early Turbo Graphics. I think it's Hakenden. Let me double check. Hakenden is one of those like uh, freaking old. Uh, like stories that get readapted over and over because yeah Hakan and then Eight Dogs of the East yeah yeah that's that's what it was based on yeah the Eight Dogs of the East is one of the manga adaptations there's like a million others like this is I say Eight Dogs of the East to try to clarify what it's talking about Hakan uh, and it's apparent like Eight Dogs of the East is apparently some anime from the early 2000s that was based on the same story. There's like a million of these. <laughs> it's it's like how you'll occasionally see like, oh, here's an anime. It says Suikoden. This is not the Suikoden I was promised. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like you get, it, it, it's one of those stories that gets readapted. Not to the degree of Suikoden or Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but still. Gets readapted a lot, but yeah, there's an East knockoff. There were a lot of East knockoffs at that time because East was a big thing and it was not yet officially ported to every system ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but instead of playing Ragoon, Lagoon, you're better off playing a bad port of East, really. It's it's a bad game. 
Pack. Guess what? There are good ports of East that you could also be playing. Like that too. The Tippo version, or the PSP version. Or you can just play... The PC version. Oath and Filgana. <laughs> yeah, but that get, that scratches a different itch, itch than proper bump and bump East. Yeah, that's true. Football East. At least you're not Please. playing Highlight. Uh, so, moving on. Let's play Highlight 3, The Space Memories. <laughs> I don't no, even, no, no, I, no. I, you have a Saturn? Play Virtual Highlight. Do it. Um, I, do it, do it. I do owned it. a copy of that game for about five minutes. <laughs> that game is... Like, that game is crazy. Like, everything about how that game is constructed is amazing to me. <laughs> oh... All I right. love it. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I'll stop. Also, no need to apologize for the conception reference. I barely paid attention to that series the first time it went through Japan. I didn't even realize you'd made the joke until Wheels called you on it. Okay, that was specifically me, and I still apologize. I hate you so much. That song okay. sticks in your brain. It's terrible. Yeah, just like... American Dream. Dee, dee, uh, dee. Uh, you know the worst part of that song is it it pl- so yeah that that song plays every time you start up the freaking game. <laughs> so it's. Did you edit that into the last episode, or are you gonna have to edit it to this one? I'm pretty sure I put it in the last episode. If I did not, I'll put it in this one. I may put You're it in this one as well. I think that two and a half hour long opus again. Yeah, it's true. I'm just gonna put it in here as well. Why not? Uh, Speaking of which, uh, uh, what does he say? Basically, Mulder and Scully, the characters' names are Mulder and Cully. (laughs) And so these these are the uh, Mulder and Scully X-Files parody characters in Yokai Watch 3 who are investigating the Y-File. Now I'm just just wondering, like, did did X-Files get dubbed into Japanese? I hope so. I I hope so, and, and so... I have to bring up this story now that we're randomly on Yokai Watch 3. Uh, so I obviously started playing in Japanese, and you know the game takes place in America. So early on, <laughs> oh, early on in the game, a, a character, uh, an American character, obviously comes up to your character and starts talking to him, and you know it's in English. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then I realized that. Uh, the voice actor was just talking gibberish, so obviously it's one of those those scenes where you know the character is speaking a language you don't know, and you know it's just supposed to be gibberish. But I just find it humorous that they actually wrote in you know actual English instead of just putting in gibberish. Yeah, it, it reminds, funny. reminds me of how much I really ad- it reminds me of how much I really adored that there is there are instances like not all of it obviously because then the like half the game would be in English, but in the first case of Daigakuten Saibon, you're in an otherwise Japanese court, and then you have an English-speaking witness. And eventually, like, that person initially speaks through an interpreter, but they do eventually speak English at a very, like, important point in the case. And it's like, oh, man. And, like, if you play through Daigakuten Saibon, you will find that at the end, the localization director for the series, the Ace Attorney series, uh, is credited. And that's because she was actually called in to make sure that that English was not complete garbage. Uh. <laughs> and she also she gets the character gets her own unique shout. She actually just shouts "shut up," and it's in this really ornate cursive script. It's fantastic. Nice. nice. 
I will never lose an excuse to talk about Ace Attorney. Look forward to when I get back from PAX when, like, I'm just going to be shouting about Ace Attorney oh, 6 for, like, dear. three episodes. Oh. Okay, Mulder and Kali. Okay. Uh, Gaijin points out that I messed up which, uh, uh, which Bad Tales of the World game I was talking about. Summoner's Lineage is the GBA game, and the... Uh, the 3DS game has the much less memorable title of Reva Unidia, 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 Unitia. I don't even know. It's also mediocre. But yes, so. I, it's probably really bad. Um, it's uh, not terrible. It's just, it's kind of just there. Yeah. In any case, I apologize for repeatedly referring to that game as Summoner's Lineage. As you can tell, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> But I, I appreciate being corrected because it was kind of a like, wow, nice job. Nice job, Jackass. You just <laughs> ranted about these games and you can't even keep them straight. <laughs> oh. Let's see. Uh, Triple Knots for DS. That and Clash of Heroes are the only US-made DS games he owned. Yeah, like, we, we talked about that. Like, there just wasn't much Westerns yeah. for the DS. Really? Despite, like, by all logic, it seemed... Like I played some Western DS games, and half of them are really bad phone ports. Like there's an am- amazingly bad. Like I, I got this for like two dollars, and I still felt ripped off. Uh, Assassin's Creed Altair's Chronicles, which is a port of a cell phone game, and it's the worst game. Didn't you play some and awesome said, Prince of Persia game on DS? I hate. I knew. You, I was about to mention that because you're an awful person. Is that Forgotten Sands? I think. I think it was Forgotten Sands. Uh, I forget. It was probably Forgotten Sands because that was like the one that was designed to piss me off because I'm still like a huge fan of Prince of Persia 08. Yeah. And I never got a sequel. Um, but yeah, like he said, he gave me like Prince of Persia 08, like the one time we met in person. <laughs> not, not Prince of Persia 08. He gave me Forgotten Sands DS, which was hideously buggy and had a budget of $7. So. Like know- I. Tr- walking left or right while the first boss is doing anything. Causes it to irrevocably glitch and you'll die. <laughs> oh, nice. And I should note, this is at the the same time that I gave somebody else... Uh, well, I can I'm actually mention them because they're on this show uh, yeah. at random times. Gave, Pete, I gave him a copy of Unlimited Saga. So I don't think he has yet played that, although I feel like eventually I will goad him into doing it and he will just like get really furious at it really quickly. Probably. But... Yeah, I, I hate, hate you. Yeah, I, I struggle to think of any uh, good uh, Western-made DS games. I would call Scribblenauts a good. Scribblenauts is good. Uh, Clash of Heroes is really good. And I would I would also argue that Grand Theft Auto Wars is good. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I've heard I've heard good things. Um, was Metroid Prime Hunters was that? Developed by a Western developer, or was that developed? I want to say that's an Japanese NST team? game, so that I want to say that's NST. So I think that is actually Western developed. Okay, because I was just thinking about like that. Nintendo like, software technology like died around that point due to the death of Project Hammer, but I'm pretty sure that Prime Hunters is NST. Yep, NST. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if you ever want to find out a tragic, tragic tale, you can look up some of the details on what happened with Project Hammer. Mm. The answer, it was probably going to be bad. Don't play it. Don't think about... Don't think you missed out on much, but feel bad for everyone that worked on it. 
but yeah, Prime Hunters, um, which I sold my copy of a while ago, and now with Federation Force, uh, I need to track down another copy. Of course you do. Why would, why would I expect different? <laughs> what, that I got rid of Prime Hunters? No, or you that would I... be like, oh, of course I need to play it again. Yeah. And I guess that maybe... That's impressive. Maybe, maybe give... you should try to track down... Oh, God. That's... I was going to say, maybe I'll give Other M another try. No, don't do that. No. Um, maybe I'll try to track down Metroid Prime Hunters The First Hunt, the Metroid Prime Hunters demo that came with their late DSs. No, I'm not that insane. Pass. <laughs> that's, probably kind of, that's probably kind of a pain to get hold of. Let me yeah. check this. Okay. I mean, I, first I, hunt. I should not waste any time with Other M, because I still have Prime games to beat anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's not that bad. You can still get it for like nine bucks. Yeah, that's a collector's item. Uh, let's see, what other Western developed DS games? Sonic Chronicles? Oh, that's awful. But uh, we brought that up last time. It's like oh, yeah. Western developer puts the Z team on it. <laughs> da, 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 da. If, you, if you've if you never listened to the Sonic Chronicles soundtrack, I'm sure that I've implored people to do this before. Go listen to it, because it's the worst soundtrack I've ever heard in a commercially released video game. Hey, let's take a series known particularly for its music, and yeah. yeah. Let's rip remixes of random tracks off the internet. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is a uh. 3DS game, not DS, but Heroes of Ruin. Uh, it was a game I really liked that no one really cared about. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. Uh, it's, it's a it's a Diablo type. It's a uh, Diablo like. A Diablo. Yeah, but it had some neat features that I thought were pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And an interesting story, and no one cared. So there's that. Uh, um. But I mean, other than that, I think as we discussed on last episode, that's the Western developed stuff as far as like uh, 3DS goes. It's all like indies now, so and mostly on Vita as well, which isn't bad because there's much the quality of that stuff has is much in, much improved from back in the day. So yeah, it's just sad to like never see developers really trying to put their best teams forward on a handheld. It is, because there's there's a lot of series that would make a lot of sense on portables that I'd love to play. Like, um, I think you could do some interesting things with uh, Mass Effect. Um, I think Dragon Age would make for a really nice tactical RPG on a portable system. That'd be interesting. Um, you know, we can kind of go on and on from there. So maybe we'll put out the question to you the listener and how would you how would you shrink down your favorite franchise on a portable yeah specifically favorite western franchise yeah yeah like yes. try, try to let's workshop some ideas yes bonus points for anyone that comes up with a portable destiny game of course do you would want that um okay and this this is an answer this is a question that should be an answer a comment that should be near and dear to your heart there's a surprising amount of crossover in the iWhatever markets between Japan and the U.S., to the point that I had to double-check any iOS games I considered for Japanimonium just to make sure it wasn't originally in English. And there were times I had to dump a half-finished write-up <laughs> that. 
in the grand scheme of things, the numbers were probably still a drop in the bucket, but the fact that there's any movement westward over the Pacific in that market is kind of weird. For my very last column, I had to drop something because apparently the Xbox One Virtual Store includes some translations of US-made games. Interesting. This just reminds me that, like, this is a crazy thing that, like, I was just thinking about a few days ago. You know what market exists for Microsoft consoles in Japan? What's that? It's shmups. Oh, yeah. I I always forget about that. Like, cave shmups in particular, but, like, Raiden 5 just came out on Xbox One, and I need it because I fucking love Raiden. (laughs) That's so weird, though. Yeah, like, how did that happen? Like, I don't know. I I can only... Like, that's so weird. Like, you would think that that would go away after a while, but no. Like, the Xbox One is still where cave releasing like like they kept doing it yeah like you'd think okay that maybe that market would migrate to one of the more popular consoles but no it's still there yeah i guess like the the thought process is that like people okay this is where we release our games and our, our audience will follow wonder if and it's like, like our audience is tiny but that's where they go wonder if it's like the whole falcom thing where they were pretty much the only big developer on pc in so japan for the longest time. And really, they still might be, if not for their some issue with a distributor or something that kind of like caused really, a shift. Like, as far as I can tell, they kind of just they kind of threw PC to the wolves after a while, and like most of their games are PSP, Vita, PS3, PS4 now. Yeah, if I, I, I don't remember exactly where I heard this, but I remember it being some weird issue with like whoever distributed their PC games or something like that, so they kind of had to move to a different market, but that may have been after they already started doing the PSP games, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that was that was super weird to me, like, Dodonpachi, Saitaiojo, and just, like, just weird stuff, like, that was all on 360, and, like, apparently they just sort of kept going. It's like, what, what? Oh, okay, we sure. We found our niche market, let's keep going. Yeah. But, like, I, I absolutely need to go about, like, purchasing Raiden 5, which actually came out in the U.S., apparently. It's like, weird. I assume, yeah, but, but I freaking love Raiden games. Like, they're my, like, I really love verti- vertically scrolling shooters, and Raiden is, like, top of the heap for me, so. Nice. Got a lot of, got a lot of good price. Shmups! Shmups. But, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting, like, any sort of, like, Western tech penetration in Japan is fascinating, me. Very interesting. And to cap it off, uh, Gaijin had the kindness to to bring forward two different Nyazingers. Oh my god. Never to happen crossover battle between classic anime film Nyazinger Z versus Devil Nyan. I'm trying to think, like, I just watched a, a crossover film, a crossover series that was literally, uh, like, all of Go Nagai's, uh, like, popular creations, all of them are tiny, are, are tiny-sized. It's called, like, <laughs> Go Nagai Chibiketa World, and it's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Like... Gonagai Chibikara World has as a core plot point that the reason that everyone is a tiny baby uh, is, 
is like chibi sized is because uh, the god of the the creator of this universe that is separate from the cre- uh, normal gun guy creations is a child. <laughs> and they find they find child god's head just floating in space. Huh. And like they find out that child god's head is a portal back to normal sized world but that most of them are not meant to go back to that world because they are the rejected ideas of child god. What? Who then proceeds to remake the universe to be about the guy's most violently offensive work, Violence Jack. Okay. If you don't know what Violence Jack is, keep it that way. <laughs> uh, if you do know what Violence Jack is, my condolences, I've read it too. <laughs> Good to know. But yeah, yeah Devil, Devil Man and... Uh, De- by, by volume, uh, like... Hakaba Kitaro, Gegege Kitaro, uh, and Devilman probably have more to answer for for how demons get portrayed in Japanese works than just about anything. Hmm. It's uh, it's absolutely nuts. <sighs> also, so don't don't read other thing other Devilman's past original Devilman because they get uh... well, Devilman Lady is basically seventeen straight volumes of rape. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Viewer discretion advised. There. I, I felt like that, that warning needed to be placed out there. The original Devil Man was marketed as shonen and thus technically for thirteen year old boys, but at the same time, uh probably not really appropriate for that demographic e- either. No, <laughs> definitely not. Original Devil Man's like, oh, you know, your girlfriend's head got ripped off and eaten by a turtle, and it now shrieks from that turtle's back. Hmm. Do you believe in Kame? I do not. I don't even know what that is. Uh, it, was, it was a dumb pun oh. in Gon Nagachi Car World. Like, that, that turtle uh, gets his own head chopped off and carried along as, like, an annoyed mascot for the entirety of the show. And, like, part way through, like, when they start talking about God, he says, do you believe in Kame? Like, like that's, that's the sentence he's making. And the, the joke is that Kame and Kami are very, very similar sounding. Uh, Kame means turtle, Kami means God. There, the joke is dead now. Rest in peace, Joe. I apologize. Joke. We went, we went far afield. It's entirely my fault. I just, I, I am a go, guy enthusiast. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Whatever it is. We, we let this get in. I, I allowed myself too much time to just sort of stare at the, at the reactions to the episode. That's all right. All right, so. As usual, you can send us replies and thread email. Oh, did I actually get some email recently? It's not like oh. you're going to tack it onto this. Just make sure it finds its way into the question archive. Did I, I did, but we're going to save that for another time. Because these are uh, Mr. Baker-related questions. Yeah. Uh, but Next yeah. time, you'll be on, I think. I hope. Most likely, yes. So. It's always a pleasure having him on. Scheduling should be a little easier for him coming up, so we will 
get that taken care of. How could he Sam? have so much difficulty scheduling? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even finish that. It's an obnoxious joke. Hey, like, wait. Yeah. But yeah. So, he will be on soon, and we will probably end up having like a three-hour episode again. Oh, most likely. So look forward to that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some of you will pass by me at PAX and neither of us will know that it happened until afterwards. <laughs> oh. Anyway, folks. If you do, I apologize. I always sound like that. <laughs> we will see you next time, folks. Peace out. Nope.